Law Focus Podcast. Law Focus, handing you your rights. Good evening, good evening, good evening. It is gone three minutes after seven and you are tuned into VOW FM broadcasting on 88.1. My name is Millicent Ndiweni and I am not alone. I am together with my colleague here, Tsepo Muhabi. Remember that Law Focus is a show that aims to deal with issues relating to legal matters. We want to inform you about your legal rights and we want to have critical conversations about issues within and of the law. Yeah, now we all in our lives have to make use of lawyers at some stage in our life. I mean, an example might be when you purchase property, when perhaps you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, uh, when you have problems at your work, like being dismissed or unfairly um, uh, disciplined, uh, or if you go bankrupt or your marriage comes to a nasty end by a divorce. All of those would require you to, you know, get the services of an attorney. Um, and there are instances like that where you almost don't have a choice but to make use of an attorney. And we try to present those kinds of scenarios to you uh, so that you can understand the law a little bit better. Exactly. And as Tapwa has said, we have gone with an issue of the law, a branch of the law known as deceased estates tonight. And as we delve into it, we realize how important it is because you know what? When anyone dies... There are things, there are benefits that are supposed to go to certain people and they, those people are supposed to inherit whether it's property or assets or finances and we need to make sure that that actually does happen. And how else to better make sure of that but to employ an attorney or in the least to seek the necessary legal advice? Well, yeah, the famous saying is... Um uh, the only two certainties in life are death and taxes. Uh, <laughs> and it's true. Um, at some stages, as macabre as it might sound, um, we're going to not be here anymore, each of us. And so it is a part of the law that is going to affect us, each and every one of us. Some of us won't get a divorce. Some of us won't get bankrupt. Some of us um, uh, won't buy a, a property outright. But all of us will at some stage die. Now, sure. to ask, to have answers to all of our pressing questions, we've got a young legal expert. She's brilliant. I know her personally, and she's quickly ascending the legal ladder. Her name is Ms. Alexandra Wilding, and she's from Hugh Reichland Attorneys in Norwood. And she's going to shed some light about what she knows and the advice that she can give about dealing with deceased estates. And while we look forward to that and to her expertise, you may be involved if you would like to. Any questions that you're afraid we might not ask or that we might not address, any comments that you wish to make, any wisdom that you would like to share, please do get in touch with us on Twitter. We are at VowFM using the hashtag LawFocus or on Facebook you can look for LawFocus and of course the land landline is working on 011-717-8889 no 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 let me start again 011-717-9881 yes that's it and then remember that our podcasts are available just visit vits.journalism.co.za forward slash law or the Bits Radio Academy page on IONO. After this, we continue with our legal hotspots. Thank you for tuning into Law Focus tonight. Listening to Law Focus? Connect with VowFM88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the top of, the stories of the week. It's Legal Hotspots. 
Yeah, uh, welcome back. And we just want to take a quick look at our legal hotspots, the hottest legal stories of the week. 26 years into democracy, and I cannot believe that this topic is back on the agenda. But this is South Africa, yeah, and it is. So F.W. de Klerk has been a hot topic, amazingly, for the last sort of two to three weeks. This comes after he made comments that he didn't agree that um, apartheid was a crime against humanity. Mm. Of course, despite the rest of the planet condemning it almost entirely and um, um, completely over the almost the entire entirety of his of its existence in 2000 in 2020 the former president says it's not a crime against humanity nevertheless he's now apologized for any quote unquote hurt feelings um, any hurt his, his uh, words have caused now he withdrew his statement after what he said earlier this month that um, about it wasn't a crime against humanity so he's making now this this apology for that um he made the statement during an interview, I think, on the SABC, and uh, he saw. He basically uh, tried to say that um, apartheid being classed as a crime against humanity was anti-propaganda, uh, and it had communist origins as well as ANC origins. Um, the rest of us who know anything about world history know that the UN declared it a crime uh, much, 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 much uh, before that. All right, and it also now the the um, the Clark Foundation retracted the comment and apologized for the quote unquote confusion, anger, and hurt that it has caused. Um, now, the Clark was credited with um, his sort of role in bringing about the end of apartheid. Um, I, I suppose that is now debatable, maybe always been debatable. Yeah. And for that, he was um, awarded a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, there's now a petition to um, perhaps review the Nobel Peace Prize. I know for a fact that the Nobel Peace Prize has never been um, uh, um, retracted from anybody. It goes against their statutes. But it's an interesting debate, but it's really one that 26 years into democracy should we really be having this debate, uh, the emboldenment of um, racism of and the denial of the pain caused by apartheid I think uh, is getting worse in this country and the likes of de Klerk do not assist it. But there we are, he's now retracted it. And let's see whether he behaves as though he's retracted it. Yep. Well, while some people are yet to check their privilege, busy minimizing uh, apartheid, we have other people maximizing our constitution by coming up with new labor law amendments that are supposed to obviously make workers happier. And um, what basically uh, these labor laws um, are, are with regards to the minimum wage as well as parental leave. So as per some amendments to the National Minimum Wage Act of 2018, employers are now required to pay workers at around 3.8% uh, more an hour. This basically means that a worker cannot be paid less than 20,76 rand an hour whereas previously the minimum was at 20 rand an hour well in my personal opinion um you know it, it is very important that obviously every single cent counts but but uh it might be questionable still that how much of a difference will this amount make not that it's not important that it has to increase 
but it's so minimal how much of a difference even when you actually add the totalities of all these hours per month the least paid even with these slight increases will be farm workers who will be earning slightly over 18 rand an hour domestic workers uh, over 15 rand an hour and those working on expanded public works programs with just over 11 rand uh, an hour and then regarding our parental leave, the amendments to the Basic Conditions of Employment Acts of 1997 will include employees, uh, including fathers, being entitled to at least 10 consecutive days of leave. And this is not just for uh, when you have uh, given birth or your you know, wife or mother of the baby has given birth, but also for when you are uh, adopting a child. So when the adoption is granted, you are allowed to have this leave. And these laws will be effective as of the 1st of March 2020. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm expecting to hear quite a lot about People saying, ooh, I can't afford my domestic worker. Ooh, I can't afford my farm worker. Ooh, you know, all of the, you get all of those comments. And But we're talking, and I'm, and I'm just going to remind you, 18.68 an hour, uh, 15.57 an hour for a domestic worker, and 11.42 for public works programs. So we're not talking huge amounts no. of money, but we are talking money that can make a difference in someone's life. But it's South Africa, and you will hear people say, ooh, but the economy, my word, I can't afford them. You can't, can't afford, afford them? Rather let Drop it them. go, yeah, rather <laughs> let it go. But it's always that comment. All right, let's go on to the Zonda Commission quickly. It's sort of quietened down a little bit. It hasn't been as spicy as it used to be. If we look back at the days of Agliotti and how he sung like a canary, that man, and then there was Zuma and his constant coughing and blah, blah. Anyway, and, and then not attending, etc. Uh, now we are dealing with uh, the monies that was... Stolen. There's no other word to say. It's stolen uh, from the Richards Bay Mtlatuzi water sort of program. And uh, this is an example of how money really went away. And Mr. X, he's scared for his life, so he's been permitted to testify in camera and not reveal his identity to the public. Um, I, would, I assume the commission knows his identity, but the public won't know his identity. Um, and he's appearing in, in the commission. He's talking about three million rand, which was paid into his account uh, of his company Isbone Law uh, for work that uh, he had done. Now, you know, and he was paid that money before any work was done. And this was by uh, Richards Bay's Water, I think, which is a state state related sort of enterprise. Uh, and he would get he testified how he would get instructions from the program manager, uh, uh, who was Mr. Majola, and he forwarded the money to him as well. Now, three three million might not sound like a, a big amount of money if you consider the Agliotis and the Bosasas and that's hundreds of millions we're talking about there. But it's these transactions of three million here, two million here, half a million there that go on every day that drain the fiscus. And this is a very, very good example of A, how money is stolen and then B, how legitimate businesses are sort of cut out from doing legitimate work 
for the department and then delivering a legitimate service. It's these transactions, not just the big ones. These little transactions that we don't take so much focus of are the ones that are really, really, really killing us because they are in the thousands per annum. I can tell you they're in the thousands per annum. Anyway, but let's see how that goes along and we'll see if there are any repercussions for these people and the Zondo community. I hope it doesn't turn into another Farnham Commission and another blah, blah commission. Well, all right, let's see. <laughs> well, speaking of crimes, uh, we've got Dunuan residents, uh, which is a community in Cape Town, who had uh, 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 prison officials come to speak to them to basically request them to accept ex-convicts back into the community. So President Ramaphosa had to give his reasoning for this move, uh, which which already has taken place. But basically what happened uh, is that the, the, the Pulse Moor prison happens to be very, very full. Um, and, and, and because it is overcrowded, they came to the... Uh, you know, decision that, okay, let's solve this problem by basically cutting short these people's sentences. And obviously that has to be okayed by the president, which is was. Unfortunately, the rehabilitation uh, programs in the prison were also not really effective because of the fact that it's so full. So instead of having 28 convicts in a cell, people, they were sitting at 65 inmates kind of like what happens in schools nowadays um but anyway uh so so the most this move has been reported um um will not apply to any offenders of sexual crimes murder attempted murder armed robbery sedition high treason sabotage terrorism and domestic violence or child abuse so uh, the south african inmates were already released in december of 2019 and then the immigrants who were inmates in the same prison were released in january this year so yes that's basically what has happened in our legal hotspots this week Rounding up all, all the top stories of the week legal hotspots Listening to Law Focus? Connect with VowFM88.1 on Twitter and Facebook. Be your own lawyer. Alright, it's about 17 minutes after 7 o'clock and you're back with me, Tapo, and I'm with Millicent. Remember, you can follow us or comment on what we're trying to, on what we're discussing today at, uh, on Twitter, which is at VowFM, using the hashtag LawFocus. Remember to call us on 011-717-9881. Today we're discussing deceased estates and how important they can be. I know personally they can turn into a nightmare if you are not careful. An absolute nightmare. You don't want that. Really, you don't. Uh, uh, because it's hard to, to, to resolve an issue where the person who's at the center of it is no more. Um, but to get a better idea of what we're talking about, and to get a little bit of advice, answer some of them, uh, the more popular questions that we have, we've got Ms. Alexandra Wilding, and she practices out of Norwood at Hugh Reichlin Attorneys. Hello, Alexandra. Hi, Ale- Alexandra. Oh, well, our, our line seems to be a little bit... Uh, uh, you know, fuzzled at the moment, and uh, we'll get back to her soon. Now, deceased estates. You might wonder who, in our sort of in our in our legal system, deals with deceased estates, uh, and that would be the master 
of the High Court. It's a division of the uh, of the Department of Justice. Actually, got very little to do with the High Court. I don't know why they called it that. It's a very old-fashioned name, but it's a it's a division of the Department of Justice, and they deal with deceased estates, trust registrations, and things that have to do with uh, children. For example, money that is due to children. It's that sort of stuff, uh, and it's run uh, quite professionally. Although. Two weeks ago, we had quite a major upset in the master's office with virtually all of the branches having been closed down uh, for a short period of time, about two or or three days, uh, when nobody could uh, um, access their offices and they were dealing with internal affairs. I think we've got Alexandra back on the line. Uh, Let's see if we can talk to her. Hello, Alexandra. Hi, Tsepo. How are you? I'm fine and so. <laughs> good, thank you. Well, it's good to hear from you. Um, today we're going to be discussing deceased estates, which I know uh, you are, you know, very, very excited about. You know, it's something that you like to do. I know, <laughs> and um, uh, and you know, it's it's part of our. It's part. I was explaining to the to the listeners that it's inevitable that everybody will have to go through this at some stage because. Nobody is guaranteed. Uh, I mean, at, at some stage, everybody's going to go, and their estate yeah. has to be dealt with. Now, tell me, how important a branch of our law would you consider deceased estates to be? Well, it is the only part of our law which will deal with an asset, the assets of the person who has passed away. Um, so it's extremely important. But unfortunately, a lot of people fail to prepare themselves for this event, which, as you said, is inevitable. I I, I imagine that uh, a lot of that reluctance might come from having to contemplate your own demise or that of your parent or that of your spouse, and you might be afraid of that. But if you don't, I imagine it could be difficult to deal with the fallout if you don't prepare. Well, yes. So um, if you don't prepare, it can be a lot more difficult dealing with or estate or the executor dealing with your estate afterwards. Um, And this is what we call intestate uh, succession, um, where your estate will be wound up in accordance with the Interstate Succession Act, um, which which is basically where you don't have a will. And um, that, that can be quite difficult, especially if minor children are involved and you need to appoint a guardian. It's much better to to have a will and deal with those things up front and unfortunately face the reality that you know one day uh, you too will will pass on Mm-hmm. And 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 um, Alexandra, for the people then uh, who are listening, obviously this is new to them in terms of not really understanding what interstate law means or interstate uh, law. How do you then um, further explain these two procedures in a more practical manner so that we can understand better? Okay, so in terms of interstate succession, what happens is. Your executor will be um, your closest surviving family member, and that could be a spouse. Um, That will also um, be the master's discretion who will um, ultimately guide you in that course um, after taking some factors into consideration. In addition to that, um, if you are married, 
and and just have a surviving spouse, then your estate will devolve, what we call devolve upon the surviving spouse. And devolve is just a fancy word for saying distributed to your spouse. Um, And then there are further processes, such as if you are married and have children, well, then you have to determine things like your marital regime, um, you have to apportion something that we call a child's portion or 250,000 rand, whichever is greater to the spouse. And only after that, if there's anything left, is it divided equally amongst your spouse mm. and your potential children that are still alive. And it goes so on and so forth. And you have to look along the generational lines to see who has survived you. So in the instance that you don't have a surviving spouse, or children, and then you would look at your parents. And if your parents aren't around at that time, then you look at siblings. It's a lot more detailed than that, but just to give a a bit of a brief overview um, so that people can understand. But it's it's much better to state up front who you wish to receive what. Yeah, certainly. And, 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 And generally then, when a person does die, what are the practical steps that should be take, taken uh, with, regra- with regards to, to, this, um, to this law? So if I lose a parent, what are the first steps that I must take to make sure that things are done accordingly? So can you, can you repeat what you're trying to say? Sorry, the line's a bit, it's uh, a bit uh, breaking okay. up a bit. So basically, um, someone dies in my family, um, I'm responsible for that person. I'm the closest relative to that person. Practically, what are the steps that I'm then supposed to take to ensure that all these processes that you have spoken about, even if uh, this person has died without a will, um, actually go according to plan? What am I supposed to do? Okay. So what you can do is either you can, as a member of the public, approach the master's office directly and something that I find very useful and I deal with this on a daily basis is I type into Google master's forms and it will take you to the master's website which has a whole lot of forms you need to fill out in order to report a deceased estate. It's much easier for you as a member of the public to report a deceased estate uh, which is under 250,000 rand and you'll hear that that figure is Um, mentioned a lot, that's the threshold that the master looks at Um, and if your estate is under 250,000 rand that is wound up in accordance with section 18.3 of the Administration of Estates Act however if your loved one has passed on and the estate is worth over 250,000 rand what you can do is you can approach an attorney or a law firm and ask them to wind up the estate. And what you would do in that process is gather information as to the deceased assets, liabilities, income and expenses, as well as proof thereof. And what the um, attorneys will do, either they will become the executor, depending on if you hand that over to them, or they act as agents and they will report the estate to the master and deal with the processes involved. Mm. All right. Okay. Well, it's um, about 25 past seven. Uh, you're with Millicent and Sapo. We're talking about deceased estates and how important it is to get those kinds of things right and to have an understanding of how 
or at least what the process is when you are going to uh, uh, go through reporting of a deceased estate. Remember, we're on Twitter, at VowFM, using the hashtag LawFocus. You can also call us on 011-717-9881. Now, some people, Ali, might be, uh, Alexander, might, might be put off by the, um, by the potential cost of drawing up, well, think, oh, this is a, such an important document. It must be incredibly expensive. Is that the case? What does it generally cost to draw up a will? So, not necessarily. Um, obviously, you have to take into factors uh, factors such as um, how complex the will is, and most of the time, just get a very basic will in place. Um, and then, and then at a different stage in life, maybe think about getting a more detailed will. But things such as how technical the will is going to be or which firm of attorneys you approach um, will depend on the cost of the will. One of the things that could make a will more expensive is something like adding a trust to the will. And that's important if you have a minor child involved and you want to just control their inheritance and make sure the trustees overlook that. And... Mm. Um, but what I would advise um, listeners to do is take, it well, uh, take advantage of something we call Wolves Week, which is where a whole lot of firms um, sign up to draft wills for free for members of the public. And it usually takes place in September every year. Um, and if you want to find out which attorneys take part in this, you can go to the lfsa.org.za website and have a look there for more information. Mm. Wow, mm. that's amazing. Thanks, we will, we will uh, repeat that a little bit later. Now, in terms of how often you should change your will, is there a guideline or when would you recommend that a, a will at the very least be looked at? You know, what events or what timeline would, would be advisable for you to have a look at your will again once you have one in place? So I think the general rule to go by is every time there is a major change in circumstance in your life. So if you get married, if you have children, Mm -hmm. if one of the beneficiaries of your will has subsequently passed away, or unfortunately if you get divorced, these are all times to look at redrafting your will. Mm -hmm. Good. Oh, okay. Right. And how long does it take generally? usually to wind up in an estate. I'm talking about the more complicated one, the one that's above 250000 How long does that normally take? I would say that, I mean, it can take up to several years, um, you know, and, and that's really in the extremely complex ones. Sometimes it can take a few months. But if you are dealing with an estate over 250000 rand, let's say from the millions um, and unforeseen litigation comes up we all know how long litigation takes that could draw you back for a few years but generally i would say a few months to maybe a year or two okay and 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 speaking of of obviously all these monies that come into play regarding the will how do you know um that you are not being cheated you know in terms of appointing the right executor to administer the estates and being sure that the estates will actually be wound up, you know, appropriately. Uh, if I'm not a lawyer, if I don't know the maths, how, how do I verify that all the detail is actually accurate? So, 
So what you can do is, just as a safeguard to start off with, is you can um, remain the executor of the estate, let's say if it's intestate succession and you're the closest related family member, and what you do is then you later appoint a firm of attorneys to act as an agent on behalf of the executor. Um, and that, what that enables you to do is you can still sign off on all documentation. And, and one of the big things involved in this point is, is um, your liquidation and distribution account. Mm, mm. That cannot be submitted to the master without the executor signing off on that. And what you have to do when drafting a liquidation and distribution account is every entry in that account must have supporting documentation. So if you really needed to, I suppose you could take it to another expert, um, not necessarily even attorney, but, you know, someone like a chartered accountant or, you know, someone who deals with numbers or another firm of attorneys who could just verify that that information is correct. Okay. But generally you would be able to tell from the supporting documentation whether or not what has been recorded is in fact true. Okay, yeah, that's critically important. So we're going to just allow you to have a little breather uh, before we Thank continue you. with um, all the other <laughs> many, many questions that we do have. Please stay tuned. It has gone at 32 minutes after 7. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Right, it's exactly 30, 33 minutes after 7 and we're discussing deceased estates with Mrs. Alexandra Wilding. You're listening to Law Focus on VARFM 88.1. Remember, we're on Twitter at VARFM using the hashtag uh, Law Focus. We've been discussing deceased estates and we've touched on a few things, that there are two distinct categories of estates, that being below 250,000 and the other one being above 250,000 rand uh, and that they're dealt with quite differently the responsibilities are quite different as well so above 250,000 rand you would need some professional advice and below 250,000 rand you, you not, not just advice but assistance and uh, below 250,000 rand you might not need as much assistance and the way you're married how many children you have who survives you and whether you have a will or not is also a factor in the way in which your estate is going to be administered. Now we've touched on those, and we've got a couple more perhaps, more in tune with people who are interested in the law mm-hmm. and who are interested in practicing this branch of the law. Uh, Millicent, go ahead and ask. Um, uh, okay, no, Alexandra, so uh, uh, I hope you got your breather and you have, you know, <laughs> all right, you know, you're doing well, you're doing very well so far. Um, the common mistakes that, uh, as well as the biggest challenges that can arise in working on a deceased estate's case, what are those? So, often what we find happening is a family member of the deceased will fail to report the estate to the master or approach attorneys to report the estate to the master on their behalf straight after the deceased has passed away. And too many times um, they report the estate years later, which causes issues such as beneficiaries have passed on, um, there's been loss of assets. Mm. So it really does create a problem. And in addition, um, sometimes other assets come out of the woodwork and then what you have to do is submit what we call a supplementary liquidation and distribution account and if the estate is over 250 rand you then have to re-advertise um, notices in terms of section 29 and section 35 of the administration of deceased 
administration of the Estates Act, as well as pay master's fees again. So it just becomes such a logistical nightmare. Mm. And you know, like with all, you know, there's usually prescription uh, in law. Uh, does this also apply in this case? And if so, what are the time frames? No, so as far as I'm aware, um, there isn't something called uh, prescription with a three-year period for deceased estates, but, but in terms of the law, generally what should happen is you should report a deceased estate within 14 days of the deceased passing away. Okay, but if you did not do that and you did it later, you wouldn't forfeit. You just need to obviously provide more evidence and it's more strenuous work for you. Yes, so there, there aren't any consequences to it really. I mean, uh, you can go and have a further look at that in the Administration of the States Act. Mm. But generally, there's no real penalty attached to it. And um, as a lot of things in South Africa, the master's office can sometimes be a little bit more lax with that kind of stuff. So as long as the estate's reported, that's what matters. Mm. And you have supporting documentation. I can't stress enough that you should speak to your loved ones about what assets they have, what liabilities they have, Mm. that when the time comes, it's so much easier to administer their estate. True that. Okay, final question for you uh, before we let you go. Those are uh, people who are interested in particularly this branch of the law and they want to follow in your footsteps and practice succession law. Uh, <laughs> first, is it, is it very profitable uh, to enter it? And secondly, what do you think then the most important qualities um, are that one needs in order for them to succeed in it? So what I would say is you can be extremely successful coming into this aspect of the law. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, as you say, it's a reality we all have to face, so I suppose you'll never run out of business. Yes. <laughs> and a few of my colleagues only run estate, uh, law firms that focus on deceased estates, mm-hmm. and they're doing well. Of course. So it's definitely a possibility. What I would say, if you are interested in this aspect of the law, I think you should be someone who is organized and naturally an administrator because there are so many processes to keep track of. And on top of that, also be a people person because you are dealing with people at their most vulnerable times and you're also dealing with people at the master's office who are sometimes overlooked and just need that bit of encouragement um, and to be treated, you know, as one would expect to treat anyone else and I think often we take that for granted and there's this attitude that they don't necessarily want to assist because it can be a very mundane and difficult job. Mm-hmm, certainly. Thank you so much. I think you have been very lucid. That was Alexandra Wilding from Hugh Reichlin Attorneys. I hope I said it right. I was listening to Tepo and the pronunciation. Thank you so much for joining us on Law Focus. We appreciate thank your you so time. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Bye. All right. Thank you very much, Mrs. Wilding. We appreciate your, um, your answers and your participation tonight. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. Cheers. All right. So. That was um, our professional um, and who deals with deceased estates on a regular basis. And she gave us a few of her um, insights and what it is that you should watch out for. Now, if you are a um, uh, a budding uh, law student or, or a budding attorney, you're studying law, this is actually mandatory.
Uh, it's part of your um, a curriculum when you are studying and more importantly it is part of your exam when you write your board exams you cannot become an yeah. attorney without actually passing deceased estates yeah. as an exam not just as a module if you're running away from maths it's coming up yeah. to you <laughs> the maths isn't that bad but yeah if you get that wrong you're gonna have problems as well but well it speaking is of maths Tepo, because i know that you also uh, do deal with this uh, a branch of the law often yeah. um you know looking at what you actually practice in tax implications for deceased estates how does that actually work you know, there aren't that many tax implications. The threshold for tax uh, would be um, in the uh, in excess of three and a half million rand is where you start looking at paying tax. Oh, okay. Yeah. There is some estate duties, um, master's fees and stuff like that. Uh, but the threshold for tax is really three and a half million. So the vast majority of South African estates actually are under 250,000. Remember, uh, it's uh, not a match. Alexandra said that we're going to uh, 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 throw that number around a lot. Mm. Uh, so the vast majority of estates in South Africa are under 250,000. Uh, but it's all, you only start paying tax above three and a half million. There is a special sort of dispensation that does exist. It's a complicated one, so I won't get too much into it. It's called massing of estates. We mm. have two people who are married to one another and they mass their estate. And it does have a tax implication where it may raise, it can, under certain situations, raise the tax threshold to 7 million rather than to because 3 million. Because they've joined Because the they've massed together. their estates. Okay. But that's something of a complication and right. it's not always applicable to every estate. Yeah. And even the massed one does not sometimes always, it's a bit of a complicated, but that's well, well, then considering that most people in South Africa actually have an estate of less than 250,000, mm. which I, you know, it's actually, wow, it boggles the mind to think how poor we really, really are. Mm. Um, does that then mean that there aren't that much uh, litigation issues in this field because of that? You'd be surprised at yeah. how quickly um, siblings and um, children... Um, and parent and child could, can turn on each other. So I'm telling you, uh, you can have a million rand estate, which is okay. No yeah. one's really fighting. You can have a hundred thousand rand estate, and people are willing to pull out, get knives and no. guns at the same time. I'm telling you, <laughs> no joke. Uh, uh, and um, you know, really large estates as well, where there's just so much. Um, it's liquid. It's all of that. that nobody's really fighting with anybody else about it. So the the, the um, the the size of the estate isn't really an indication of whether it's going to go smoothly mm, or not. Mm. That's interesting. It's the personalities. Sure. And whether or not the deceased made correct provisions. Yeah. All right. It's almost a quarter to eight this evening. We are speaking about deceased estate. It's Tappelman and... and, and Millicent, uh, but we, we, we forgot who we were for a second. What uh, happened? I almost said I'm Tepo. I mean, really. Um, but before we continue, Tepo, I've got some interesting questions that I do want to ask. Let's just take a bit of a breather and then when we get back, we'll do that. Law Focus Point, point of Information. Okay, welcome back to Law Focus. We are rounding up our conversation this evening about deceased estates. So I just wanted to get a little bit almost philosophical here. Mm. Um, 
first of all, Tepo, regarding uh, different marriages, because obviously deceased estates happens outside of marriage, but also in marriages. So if it does happen in marriages, we've got different types of marriages in South Africa, right? Yeah. And we've got different laws for, depending what kind of marriage it is that you fall under. Yeah. Does it affect whether it's a religious marriage or a customary marriage or a civil union? Um, or does it apply the same for all? Well, as soon as a marriage comes into existence in South Africa, it's a marriage. Um, so it wouldn't make a difference what type of marriage you have, whether it falls into category of, an, of um, a civil marriage, a civil union, or a customary marriage. That's not so important as long as there's a marriage. Um, what would be of significance in terms of deceased estates would be um, the type of marriage it is, the matrimonial property regime of mm. that marriage, whether the estate is in community or yeah. out of community. Not yeah. so much whether you're traditionally married or... Of course, if you have more than one spouse, which you can do a whole topic on, if you have, you're traditionally married, you have more than one spouse, and then you die, that has its own set of rules. But as a general rule, doesn't matter which... which uh, act you got married under, what's more important is whether you're married in or out of community property where the cruel does or doesn't apply. That's okay. more important. Okay, that's interesting. Because, uh, you know, uh, as we started the conversation earlier on, I found the interstate law we have, uh, as Alexandra was explaining, um, the, the estate being wound up from the closest family units out, yeah. to yeah so yeah. it would be the children the parents um, right. or grandparents right. the cousins and then it branches out like that right yeah. so in the sense of um, african culture where the idea of family is more extremely unified um where someone we re- re- refer to your cousin as your brother or mm, your yeah. sister how does this does this not seem like a very western concept then in the application of interstate law for african families that are very traditional yeah well you could say that but no, I, I wouldn't i wouldn't really say that it's completely foreign no I, I wouldn't say that at all what they've gotten rid of which was um in existence in almost every culture was primogeniture, which was male heirs would be take precedence of a female. Now that existed all over the world um, for the most part of human history. It's just that it's been phased out and one of the last places that it was phased out was black South Africans. So for a long time, black South Africans had a different way of uh, black estates were dealt with differently to how white estates were dealt and primogeniture existed okay. in black estates whereas in white estates they really didn't exist I don't think that it's all that foreign no, let me give you an idea of just a rundown of how mm-hmm. precedence works I'm, I'm the deceased now uh, wife takes precedence and then it's children mm. so it's wife, children and then it would be their children their children my children's children and it would go down uh, and normally that would resolve the issue mm-hmm. right the only time it would go up so ascendance would be if i died with no wife and no child with no children they'd then look up to my parents, parents assuming both of them are alive right if one of them is alive uh, and one of them has passed away they'd look at that one parent but then they may look at the deceased parent and her children which would now be my siblings yeah. so they 
part portion of it may go to my sibling. It's extremely rare for us to go beyond that. Okay. Very, very rare. Mm. Right. That that would happen if someone immigrated to South Africa, never got married and never had children, but they immigrated alone and they're completely by and then they died intestate. That's where you'd struggle to find descendants, ascendants, a spouse. But normally you can wind it up in that. It has caused tension, especially with very traditional traditional people. But the benefits primogenity. Primogenity, yeah. Um a lot of people in the past really abused that yeah um so spouses were virtually disinherited by the brothers of the deceased it caused a lot of problems but the the, the benefit of having primogenic and i don't think there is any whatever the benefit was in the past has been completely completely um annihilated now I mean, it doesn't exist there's no benefit to having primogeniture also another thing is that a, a, an adopted child yeah. inherits the same as a child, yeah, as, a, as a natural child. Yeah. Also, a child born out of wedlock is no longer disinherited anymore mm. as well. Now, a child born out of wedlock inherits in the same way that a child and born... I think those are very important wedlock. changes within yes, the law. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, I mean, it's not just primogeniture which went away. It was the distinction between adopted and not adopted, mm. natural, and it was the distinction between born in wedlock and born out of wedlock. All those distinctions have been uh, done away with. So, it's indeed a very interesting aspect of the law. I think I've learned a lot, and I hope that you have too. Um, so, any final words, Temple, for us this evening before we close? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that in as much as we, we don't like, particularly us black people, we really don't like to talk about death. We really don't. And um, Are you calling it to yourself like, when you say these things? Yeah, I know. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah, like that's what, you can't do yeah, it's like just, it's coming along. <laughs> um, uh, but it is an inevitability, as much as we don't like to say it. It's an inevitability. You need to make provision for when that day does does come. Uh, I recently lost a parent, relatively recently lost a parent. And um, luckily I had a parent who wasn't, this is my mother, who wasn't very uh, shy about me. And we were close, very close. So she wasn't very shy about talking to me about what must happen when she's no longer around. And she died fairly suddenly. But fortunately we'd had a few conversations about it. And uh, I was then able to do precisely what she wanted me to do. And then I had very little resistance from anybody, whether it's my siblings or it's my um, uh, extended family, although they, I mean, they, I get along fine with them, um, about what it is I'm going to do and how it is I'm going to do it as the executor of the deceased estate, yeah. other than the normal arguments that people tend to have. Other than those, I haven't had too, uh, too difficult a time. There are other estates where nothing is said, no one says in, and then it really turns into a real, I mean, a proper nightmare. Mm. And it, it can take years of mm. litigation. It can take years of, um, of fighting and hurt and all of that to sort out the deceased estates. Uh, you need to also have your finances in order when you, when you pass on. Yeah. So if you have a property... Um, and you owe on the bond. You really, you need life insurance on that. Mm. You know, it doesn't stop because you. So you need to know about. You need some financial acumen. Mm. Um, examples. Like, so you owe on a car. The fact that you pass away doesn't mean that you don't pay on the car. You still have to pay. So you take out insurance on mm. the car. Take out insurance on your on your um, 
over your house to settle the 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 the, the, um, the balance of, of your house other things can come a little bit later policies and all of that it's much easier much better to have those big assets or big debts closed when you pass away than trying to now raise money from something else yes. to pay it into that so you must have a good idea about what goes on and uh, I'll, I'll pay perhaps lastly very quickly don't lie to yourself about your children yeah? really you mustn't lie to yourself about your children. <laughs> what, you might what love sense? your children and uh, your children might love you uh-huh. but don't don't be romantic about your kids if you know your elder son uh, you can't make that guy the executor. Don't, mm. don't he's not going to have an epiphany. No how much you love him. Yeah, he's not going to have an epiphany once you, if you know that your your youngest child is selfish. Mm. It's just going to run away with the money. Don't make him the executor. Mm. Rather make your brother who's older than them the executor and them the the beneficiaries of your Don't be romantic. Even your your, your siblings might not get a, your children might not get along with each other. Yeah. They might love each other but they might not have personalities. So you must really be I mean you must really you think about it. You must be practical. You mustn't be romantic about your kids. You know, if you're a parent, you know your kids. You know, this one, whoo, it's going to uh, pull a stunt when I'm gone. Yes. If I give them too much authority. Well, then don't give it to that child. Uh, or if it's none of your children, you find someone who you trust and you give that person the right. authority. And you know the person who's not going to take nonsense from your right. children. So be practical about it. Don't be romantic. Okay. And a quick case then for the world being a necessity. Right, a will is a necessity. Um, okay, we do have interstate succession, right? Yeah. And it will uh, have your heirs, like I explained, it's spouse, uh, descendants, ascendants, and then fraternal, fraternal people, okay? You'll have all of that. But it, it's the only way in which to ensure that you, your, your um, wishes are carried out to the letter is if you put it in a will. Right. That's the only way of doing it. Right. Now it also opens the door for you to do things which I'm not sure are great, like disinheriting people. Now it's up to you to do that, um, but you also got to think about the consequences between your heirs once you are, once you've gone. So if you disinherit somebody, um, what impact would that have? Or if you don't disinherit them for instance, you might give them the right to live in a particular place. But you may not give them the house, but say, but listen, you can't have the house, but I'll give you uh, the right to live there until you pass away, which might be just fine with the person, you see. So you've got to really think about um, what you want, but what are you going to leave behind? Is it going to work what you're going to leave behind? Mm. Right, so you must be really practical about it. And if there's a, you know, if you have children, if you have a second wife, and your second wife is not the mother of your children, really, get a will. Don't even play games. Get a will. There's no way that that's going to work out well for you. All right. <laughs> All right. No, that was a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much, Tepo. Um, thank you also uh, to, to uh, Alexandra, whom we had earlier on. For our podcast of this show and all our other shows, please do visit IONO or bits.journalism.co.za forward slash law. Up next will be the voice of hip-hop with Caesar the MC. But from our producer, Simba Honde, our technical producer, Kutlano Serame, our law focus researchers, Sikhe Monama, Tsepo Mohapi and myself, Melissa Ntindiweni, thank you for tuning into Law Focus tonight. Good night. Law Focus on Balfan 88.1 Point of Information. Law Focus Podcast.